Well, hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 530. And today we're going to be talking about this new term called the flywheel effect. And uh, we kind of heard this talked about in this uh, in this Amazon space, e-commerce space. But today I want to break it down. And this was what we were hearing a lot of at the uh, the Resonate event that we were just at. And if you guys have been following along, this again is in the car. But this is coming back from the event that we spent about a day and a half, uh, two days, but really it was a day and a half in the conference. We spent some time networking the night before. And what I wanted to do here, Chris, is uh, really talk about what this means. I think it's a great concept, and I love what we learned, especially from the people there from Amazon. Yes, we actually got some insight from uh, people that were there that work for Amazon. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today in the car. So another car cast coming at you. So a recap of Resonate. So where do you want to start, Chris? Well, I think, you know, let's let's start by explaining Flywheel, and then we'll kind of dive into the, the three big things that you and I kind of pulled out of this uh, this event, which was a lot of fun for us because we got to go just kind of as attendees this time and, and yeah. hang out and, and experience the event that way and, and sit down and actually take notes and learn some things, uh, which is always a blast for us. But the, the flywheel really is all about our buddy Mo, right? Momentum and getting <laughs> getting right. it started and then watching things grow. And, and in any business, whether it's Amazon e-commerce or, you know, a, a roofing business, right? And as you start to gain that momentum, things work a little bit easier for you and it spins faster and faster and faster, right? That's the whole concept of the fly, flywheel. It takes a lot to get stuff moving, but once it's moving, everything that you kind of add on there is making that momentum move faster for you. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, adding a little bit more fuel to the fire once you get it started. Sometimes it's hard to get that fire started, but once you get it started, you just got to keep keep it going, right? right? And add a little more fuel to it. Uh, but I think also, you know, people that are in business, especially if they're just starting on Amazon and all they're doing is focusing on Amazon, they still need to understand the flywheel effect for Amazon, like what that takes. Like a lot of people still think that you can just throw up a product and it's going to take off. And, you know, kind of like a, a brick and mortar business, like the phone is just going to start to ring. Um, that's not how it works. So we have to give Amazon what they want, and that is sales. Their fuel is sales. Um, but with that all being said, I want to uh, really break this down and and maybe go over like the first thing that even Amazon reps were saying that were there. Actually, uh, one guy spoke uh, on this topic, but really was talking about brand and that there's a lot of opportunity on Amazon and Amazon wants us to be successful. They want us to have good products. And once we do show them that we have good products by having sales and people giving us feedback and reviews and all that stuff, and again, validating that it's a good product, they will push the product just a little bit more and really giving people the experience, you know, giving people a brand experience through Amazon by using your storefront page, uh, maybe a, the new landing page feature that they have built in, um, your your listing and different things you can do with that listing. So where do you want to start with that, really? Well, I think I, I think it's just important just to kind of recap that concept for everybody, right? And it was something we heard from from the, the Amazon team themselves, but it was also kind of the theme of a bunch of the other talks and something you and I have been harping on for a while, 
which is moving forward, brands are going to be the thing that dominates. Selling one-off products is not going to be as easy as it was. And and that's like the big shift in Amazon, right? From 2013, 2014, the thing that everybody says, oh, it's not as easy as it used to be. Yeah, you can't just launch a fidget spinner now, right? Right. But if you're doing the things that make for a quote-unquote real business, right? You're building a brand, you're doing an email list, you're doing all these things, Scott, that you and I are talking about. It is just as easy as it was, if not easier. And Amazon is starting to recognize that and reward that specifically. They're building in a lot of new things that are designed to help you through that process, like Storefront, like Brand Registry 2.0, like all of these things. And they're taking into account both the good experiences that brands have had and the bad experiences that brands have had, uh, like Birkenstock, right? Right. Into what they're doing uh, inside of Seller Central. And they're really trying to make that experience better for us. Now, obviously, that's very difficult for Amazon to do. We've all had the experience where we can call three different times and get three different answers, right? And they are really trying hard to remedy that. But when you take a look at some of the numbers that they shared with us at the conference, uh, you can kind of understand why. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't make me any less grumpy when I don't get the answer that I need. <laughs> right. But I totally get it. Right. Like last year, I think he said they had 300,000 new sellers uh, across different marketplaces. The other thing that was interesting is I think and I, I don't remember if the number was 140,000 total or it was 140,000 of those 300,000. Yeah, it was. Did So, yeah, I think it so was. almost half of those new sellers did over six figures last year. Yeah, they did about 100, 100 some thousand dollars. It was 100,000 or more or more. Right. In in that year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which and, is really interesting yeah, to me, was, because if you think about it, like if you just think about it proportionally, right? Half of those sellers, assuming you know, assuming there's equal distribution, half of those sellers only sold for six months. Mm-hmm. So if half of those people did over six figures, right, <laughs> right, like was you know where 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 is that breakdown? That's really interesting to me. But the the thing that kind of stuck out there, and I guarantee you, if we talk to them a little bit more, the that 50% of people weren't just launching a product; they were launching a product suite, they were launching a brand, and they were putting some marketing effort behind it. Yeah. Yeah, the one thing that uh, that he had said, the one one guy that we were talking to, um, you know, that he was saying was like, "Listen, like, there's opportunities for you to get more exposure and more traffic, especially using sponsored product ads." And he was really stressing that a lot of people they they promote and then they stop or they back off or they don't prepare for the bigger days. Now. You know, the one big day that's going to be coming up is Prime Day. And, you know, tentatively, a date's been thrown out there like July 10th, the week of July 10th, something like that. And instead of like, you know, not doing advertising at all during that time because you're saying, well, it's going to be more expensive, so I shouldn't do it. You know, he was saying the opposite. He was like, you should start ramping that up at least like a week and a half, maybe even two weeks before to kind of grease the wheels a little bit and kind of get yourself going and then to actually increase your budget. And I think he threw out a number like 200%. Yeah, it was basically double your budget at least. And that, you know, it's kind of interesting because you and I had this conversation last year and we had this conversation for Black Friday. You know, what do we want to do? And traditionally, you and I have either left it the same or scaled back a little bit because we didn't see that that conversion rate. But I think the, the strategy that they were talking about there makes sense. Now, obviously, he runs the paid search team, so it, right. it behooves him right. to say, you should spend more money in yeah. paid search. But the data also backs that up, right? They, right? they were able to share some of the analytics data, and basically what they're seeing is, in advance of something like Prime Day, they're seeing uh, you know a slow doubling in traffic, essentially, up to Prime Day for about two weeks in advance. And, and we could kind of see that in our numbers over the last few years. You start to see that, that flywheel move again, right? Yeah. 
And we traditionally had not done stuff leading up to that, but I think this year we probably will based on, on that feedback from that team. And, you know, maybe we leave it on, on on Prime Day and see what happens. Now, what he's saying is, you know, when they look at the numbers for Prime Day and for Black Friday and Cyber Monday, there is not, like, a fall-off in sales ever, right. really. I mean, you know, different products may have different things, but if you're running out of budget at 9, 10 o'clock, if you choose to run ads, you're missing out on 80% of the volume for yeah. the day. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the question that you and I have to kind of chat through is, are we okay if our ACOS doubles? Are we okay still to, you know, to do that? And if our ACOS doubles and we're break-even, are we fine with that as a brand? Right. And... I think, you know, just off the top of my head, I think for us, at least, the answer there is probably yes, um, as long as we're not losing our shirts, right, on, on PPC on those days, because we understand that that sales beget sales, right? Like, the more volume we can push, the better off we're going to be. And even if we come out break even or, or potentially lose, you know, 50 cents or a dollar on a unit, that doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world for us because we're keeping relevance, we're keeping that position, we're keeping that rank. And we're able to place bigger orders, which means our units actually cost less the next time around and all of those kinds of yeah, things. Yeah, and I think also we should mention that, you know, he like you just said, was you know, he he said that you're getting sales three days before the day of or the day, you know, actually of the sale or the prime day, and then three days after. So don't think just because it's over, it's over. It's not. There's still a flood of traffic that's there. And like he was saying, like you have to think about that. If you're running out of budget in like three hours, you should probably make sure that doesn't happen because you're losing a ton of that traffic. Like there's, you know, like so much more traffic during these these bigger times, you know, these these more popular times that that they're promoting too, by the way. Like Prime Day, they're promoting on TV and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. You know, and let's just forget about even those sales. Let's say it's going to be Mother's Day, and you have a, and you have a, an item that can be given as a, as a Mother's Day gift, or Father's Day, or you know, I don't know, July Fourth, or whatever it is. Right? You should be thinking about that and planning to really start getting things ramped up for those days, and and really taking advantage of the pay per click. Now, the other thing that he was talking about was headline search ads. Let's talk about them for a minute. Well, but before we before we dive into that, I think, and I, I may butcher this stat. I have it written down on the notebook, but it's in the back of the car. I want to say he said Prime Day was sixty percent larger. Yeah, last year I than think it you're was right. than it yeah. was in twenty sixteen. Yeah, and so it's growing. And you know, at first glance, you're like, oh yeah, but it was a three day event this year. But they compared the same thirty hour window right. to get that stat. So not only was that the one day of Prime Day sixty percent larger, mm. but you also had two additional days where they were really pushing traffic heavy. Right. Right. So just another thing to keep in mind, like, again, you know, we're not building our businesses to be dependent on these kinds of events. But if we can move a few hundred units of a product, that really helps us push momentum, especially going into what for most people is a slower portion of the year. Well, here's the other thing that I want people to understand. Okay, the flywheel effect. All right. What we're talking about is when you get that wheel started and you get that thing moving, it's it sort of kind of gets other things moving, right? It starts to, like I kind of just said earlier, like greasing the wheels, making it easier. And once that momentum starts to go, other things start to happen. Well, here's the other thing that happens, all right? You get that traffic. You get those extra sales that you normally wouldn't have had. Now you can take that money, put it in your pocket, or what I would suggest and other people that I've listened to that I, I respect have said the same thing, 
invest that back into your business, whether that's buying more inventory, whether that's buying a, a new product to launch, whether that's buying outside traffic to build your, your lists, whether that's a messenger list, whether that's a email list, whether that's a custom audience list inside of Facebook, whatever that is, you're able to take, again, that's why we talk about Amazon as our launch pad. It allows us to get cash into our business. So this way here, we can help to grow and scale that business. Exactly. You know, so that's what we're talking about. Like this flywheel effect thing isn't just like one thing. It's start the momentum. And in this case, it's launching on Amazon using sponsored product ads or just advertising in general to really get the ball moving and then start to take the money as it's coming in to reinvest in some of those other things that can continually keep that thing moving and building additional assets. So headline search, headline search. And that, that was something that they brought up. And obviously again, it's the, the Amazon page search team. So they have a little bit of an agenda here, sure. but it is something that, you know, quite honestly, I can see I improving businesses and it's something you and I have, have tested in the past and it works. There's not a ton of volume in terms of the sales there, uh, at least in the past for us, there wasn't, yeah. but some of the data that they were showing there was pretty compelling because they're getting higher click-through rates than they are, even are on the sponsored ads, yeah. right? Um, the, the biggest thing, the biggest hurdle for a lot of people, I think it's, it's still not in everybody's account, at least as of this conversation. Um, it is available for people who are brand registered and... Uh, I believe we're in the beta of that because there was another criteria that they were using to roll out some of those features. And it was like, you had more than 500 five-star feedback in the last 12 months or something, right? Something so like it was that. Like, we know you're moving a decent amount of volume because you're getting this feedback. So we're going to give you this feature to test it. Um, you also have to have multiple products to be able to use the headline search ads. And the thing that's interesting with, with the headline search ads, yes, it tends to be a little bit of a lower volume than what you get in terms of a like a click-through or you know total impressions mm -hmm. uh, for the, the sponsored products, which are what you traditionally hear us refer to Amazon PPC as, right? But the headline search ads, for those of you guys who don't know, are those banner placements across the top where you see like, you know, awesome garlic company, and then there's the three products in the, the banner ad across the top. Those are headline search ads. Uh, what they were showing uh, at, at the conference was that they actually have a higher conversion rate, um, which yes. makes sense because it's kind of a newer placement for Amazon, but you're also seeing the thing. It's the, the very first thing that people see. And so if somebody clicks on that, they're, they're likely to buy the product. The other reason that I think, and I think the real reason they have a higher conversion rate, is that you're actually, instead of driving them to a product detail page, you're driving them to the storefront, and you actually have more control over that specific experience than you do even like the sponsored product ads, right? Because I can I can build out a storefront page that gives a really nice, unique marketing experience, right? right. Much more like a, a landing page that I own. And if somebody clicks on my garlic press side of that ad, then they go exactly to the page that I built specifically for that. Yeah. And so we're able to actually do some like, I don't know, what I call real marketing, right? Like we're able to build out a unique user experience for those people, tackle things in terms of sales objections or... Uh, any of those kinds of things that we would tackle on a landing page that we actually had control over, we can build that out inside of Amazon Storefront and drive the traffic to that. So even if they're not in that 3% right now who are really raring to buy a garlic press, I actually have a chance to sell them the garlic press versus them just passively buying it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And what I want to throw out there and have you explain is because he was talking a lot about you know where to drive that traffic. You have a couple options in the headline search. And why don't you talk about that? Like the, the two different places that you can drive that traffic um, 
from that ad placement. Right. So you can either drive it to a storefront page or you can drive it to an ace in the list, basically, which and the, the ace in the list is what we traditionally have talked about. Like if you search for something on Amazon, right, and you see that list of products that comes up, that would be an ace in the list. In this case, it's just you put your your own ASINs on that list. So it drives them to what looks like an Amazon search results page, or you can drive them to Amazon storefront. Okay. And with the storefront page, it's more of kind of like a website experience where you're able to see bigger images. Um, it looks like a storefront. Um, and with the other one, it's like you said, it's kind of like you searched and now you have like, maybe you have five products and you see five like search results that come up in a list. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of thumb through them. So really the headline search is meant to send you to one of those two places. Um, so if you don't have a storefront page, that would be something that I would recommend. And they all recommended um, that everyone should have a storefront page. And that <clears throat> even even if you're not doing anything with it right now, build out just kind of a generic one because they give you they do give you that unique URL. Right. So it's Amazon.com forward slash my awesome brand. Right. Which is kind of cool. And it gives you just a place where you can you can push people from external sources like Facebook without having to worry about it. The other thing that's really cool about that storefront feature, and you and I have talked about this in the past, uh, you can actually track conversions from external sources in that now um, using what's called a UTM variable. Basically, you put a little piece of text on the back end of the link. And if you run a Facebook ad or something like that to your storefront page, you can track those conversions inside of Amazon, which is really nice. It's something you've never been able to do before. Um, so it just it gives us that little additional piece of real estate inside of Amazon. I would say go get it. There's no reason not to have it. Yeah. And you know, if you have that built out, instead of seeing the like really terrible looking uh, <laughs> list of products that comes up when somebody clicks on your brand name, it Amazon automatically directs them to the storefront once you build that out and get it approved. Um, the other thing that's nice is like you don't have to know how to code. It's not like building a website. It's a drag and drop builder. Mm -hmm. And so you can drag in, you know, they've got a little widget along the right-hand side. You drag in, I want a big photo and a little bit of text on the right. And you just kind of drag in the elements that you want and you go from there. Yeah. Again, it's another piece of property, right? It's another piece of real estate that you get to have on that platform. Um, okay. Is there anything else we want to talk about there before we move on to the next area? Uh, in terms of like ads in general, I don't think so. Now, the the next area, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the next big thing that I kind of pulled away from it uh, in terms of the Amazon flywheel really was a little bit of kind of validation for what you and I have been thinking. Um, we kind of cornered some of the Amazon guys and said, we know you can't tell us exactly but, <laughs> what the algorithm uh, needs. In, uh, in your own words, would you yeah. say that this is correct or incorrect, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to tell you to tell me, but I'm going to ask your opinion. Yeah. And so basically, you know, one of the rumors that has been out there and something you and I have, have talked about is, oh, well, if I just spend a whole bunch of money in PVC, Amazon's going to rank me. And you and I have kind of talked about that and said, well, I don't really think that's how that works, right? Amazon is, is much more concerned about relevance to the customer. And in the Amazon ecosystem, relevance to the customer means the product that that specific person is most likely to buy. And in, in the conversation with the paid search team from Amazon, basically they, they said, yeah, right? Like you could spend all the money in the world, but if nobody ever buys your thing or nobody ever clicks on your product, it's not gonna help you rank. But in theory, right, in air quotes, in theory, the, you know, all else being equal, the very first thing that Amazon would look at is impressions, right? Are, are, is this listing getting impressions, whether they're paid or organic? Mm -hmm. If yes, is this listing getting clicks? Are people clicking on it when they see it? If yes, is this listing getting sales, right? If yes, how often are they getting sales, right? So how many people are seeing it? How many people are clicking it? How many people are buying it? 
And then what is that conversion rate? Yep. That is the thing that Amazon is looking at. And then, you know, there may be some minor relevance to reviews and some of those other things. But whether you're talking about organic or paid, that's really kind of how it breaks down at, you know, the 500 foot view of what they could talk to us about. And it's interesting because just kind of looking at it, that makes logical sense, mm-hmm. right? When you say, okay, what is relevance? Well, relevance is the thing, you know, Amazon cares about a sale. It's a search engine for buyers. So they want to show the thing that's most likely to convert to result in a sale for that specific person. And so really what it comes down to with PPC is the reason that you would want to run PPC upfront, right? And this is a question you and I get all the time is, should I start PPC day one or should I wait till I have a good conversion rate, till I have a base of reviews? And you and I kind of changed on this a few years ago. We would probably have said, get your base of five to 10 reviews yep, and then run it because we know that that's going to help with your conversion rate. Now that you can't do giveaways to get reviews and like you're, you're, the reason you would run PPC up front is just to try to get some velocity. But even before that, it's to get impressions, right? And then it's to get some clicks and then it's to get some sales. We need to get traffic to that listing to see if it will convert. Knowing that once we get a handful of reviews from the people who buy from us, that conversion rate is going to get better and that's going to help us rank even faster on that flywheel. So the very first thing we have to put onto that listing to get that little wheel moving, right, is eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Then once we have eyeballs, we have to get clicks. Then once we have clicks, we have to get sales, right? That's really the the big steps in that process. So if you're about to launch a product, by all means, turn on the Amazon PPC from day one. Now, don't just spend money to spend money. You need to dial it in and you need to start making some sales from it, right? But Amazon isn't necessarily looking at the dollars that you're spending. They're looking at the impact that those dollars are having compared to what other people are doing. So the more targeted and the more relevant you can be with your PPC, the more lift, in theory, you will see in your organic ranking as well. Yeah, and that's exactly what I asked them. I said, this is kind of how the conversation went down. I said, hey, you know, there's some people that believe that if they spend money within the sponsored product ads, you know, area, that that will help them rank. Yes, they could get sales and that could help them. But then also Amazon sees, well, they're spending money with us. We should give them a little lift because we like them because they spend money with us. Some people have said to me that that's what they believe. And for a second, I kind of thought maybe that is true. I don't know. I mean, maybe they're, they do you know, think like that. And then I'm like, but really, they're, they're trying to figure out what the customer wants. And if you start giving it a whole bunch of keywords and then you get impressions and there's no sales or very low sales, then it's going to show them that that's not what really people want. And he validated that for me. And he's like, you know, actually, by you going in and pruning your keywords that are getting impressions, getting clicks, but not getting sales and pruning them, it's actually going to help you because then you're only going to be ranking and, and really showing up for the ones that are, are relevant and that, that convert. And that will, in turn, help you organically. So that's really what we're talking about. And when they have those numbers, those metrics, that data, that's when they're going to start to be able to, again, get that part of the flywheel moving because now they have data to go off of. They, once you're brand new, they don't have any of that data. But when you start, if, when you start sending traffic to it, it's going to tell them those metrics. And then that's going to help the algorithm organically say yes or no or how much lift to give you. And the thing that was kind of interesting, and it's, you know, again, like a lot of this stuff, if you sit down and you think about it logically, makes sense, but it's not always the way that we approach it, right? No. There's tens or hundreds of thousands of products in the Amazon catalog that no one has ever seen, right? So as soon as we get one impression, we rank higher than tens or hundreds of thousands of people, right? Right. Like, think about that. And then the biggest biggest takeaway and something, Scott, that 
that I, I don't want people to miss is you said, you know, pruning makes you more relevant for the things that matter, but not pruning or not targeting relevant keywords can actually hurt you. Yeah. And he said that. Algorithm. He said that too. And that, again, it makes, makes logical sense. sense. Yeah. It's not, it's probably not just going to hurt you on those keywords, but if I'm getting, if, if Amazon is showing me for something I'm not converting at all, or I'm getting a ton of traffic from something that's not very relevant, which, you know, Amazon does a lot inside of their, their PPC algorithm to try to make products as relevant as possible. They use a second priced auction. So you're not ever paying what you bid. Like say you're the highest bidder, you're not paying that. You're paying whoever bid the second most, right? That's the maximum you will ever pay on Amazon. And they do that because they don't want you to just be able to spend $20 on a keyword and, and show up for it. But there's still gonna be some stuff that sneaks through once in a while, right? Yeah. And the example that I always use is showing up for bench press when we, we target garlic press, right? Because it's a press, and so it's somewhat related. We're not going to get a ton of impressions there, but if they have the ad inventory, they might show us just to see what happens. Well, if we're actually getting traffic from that because people are just clicking on it and it's not converting, it's hurting the conversion rate on that listing, which means it's dragging us down overall. We mm -hmm. only want to target the things that are relevant for us. And so if we're going after a bunch of things that are irrelevant, it's actually hurting our organic ranking, even though we're only driving that traffic through PPC. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to mention here that was talked about was Bid Plus. Yeah. Uh, now, let's first off explain a little bit what Bid Plus is. Uh, the way that I understand it is, you know, it will increase your bid up to 50% of what you're willing to spend if it means you ranking higher for that in search. To, to some extent. Um, so the way that that has has worked just based on the data that I've seen is it it will try to get you into the first or second position for sponsored ads, right? And the reason and the time that you would want to use something like Bid Plus, and this is something that, uh, that the Amazon paid search team kind of validated for us as well, something we've talked about in the past, uh, is really if you are converting better in those, those first few sponsored ad positions. Now, there is a publicly available report now inside of your, your ad reports, which is your position report, right? And Basically, it will tell you if you're in those top spots, right, those bid plus eligible spots, how you're converting. And then if you're in like the rest of the house, right, where, wherever else you show up, how are you converting there? In most cases, you're going to see that you convert better in those top spots. So it may be worth using it if you're not already showing up in those top spots normally or on a day like Prime Day, it might be worth turning it on, right? Or the 4th of July or, you know, any any other big shopping day. Any any day that uh, you see a local mattress ad on television, right? <laughs> like, right. you know, a flag day sale, right? Any of those kinds of things. Maybe you turn Bid Plus on just to make sure that you stay in those top spots if you see that you're converting better there. If you're already in those top spots consistently without Bid Plus, turning it on isn't going to do anything for you. If you're ranking 4th or 5th, it might help. Yeah, and... Again, so that report that you would pull is in the back end of Seller Summit or Seller <laughs> Summit. Shout out to Steve Chu. I got Seller Summit because I just got back from there too. Sellers, uh, sellers, uh, or Seller Central. Central. Good lord, I wanted to say Seller Support. <laughs> We're struggling here. Seller, Seller, Se something. Seller Central. It's in the ad reports section. It's the keyword placement report. There, there uh, it's go. also prominently inside of of Ignite as well. And I know that was one of the things that they that they started to pull into that software because it is important and it's it's something that Amazon didn't give us for the longest time. Uh, you kind of had no idea where you were showing up on a consistent basis, right? You could search for your own thing and find it, mm. but you didn't know, you know, in aggregate, which is kind of important because I need to know if I need to raise my bid, lower my bid, whatever. And it's good to know that that now we can say, okay, I know definitively that when I rank number one, I convert it, you know, I convert 50% more. Um, 
so that's something if you guys aren't already looking at that. Not not to like throw another PPC thing on you, but if you're if you're interested in Vid Plus or you want to try to get some more out of your PPC, check out that report. And if you're not normally in those top positions, turn on that Vid Plus and, and see what happens. And so I'm going to give a little shout out here to Seller Labs, who, uh, you know, that's the event that we just attended, Resonate. And, uh, you know, Ignite is, you know, a fairly new tool for them. And actually, you were in part of the, the beta, uh, you know, team, I guess, building building out that as far as feature sets and stuff like that. And it's, it's come a long way, but it makes it so much easier to use that because a lot of that gets automated by you setting those parameters. And then again, like you just said, being able to see those positions and where you're, you know, where you're more profitable, it's just huge. Like it's just, it's just amazing. So I would say right now, if you guys are not using that or if you haven't checked it out, I would definitely go check it out. There is a 30-day, uh, I believe it's a 30-day free trial. If you go through our um, our affiliate link, we are affiliates for that. Uh, so you would buy us each a cup of coffee. I think Chris drinks tea. Um, but uh, you can head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash ignite. And uh, yeah, they've got a great support team there. If you need any help with that, uh, anything, they will help you out. Um, but definitely check that out. It helps so much to manage your campaigns and also drill down and really prune the ones almost automatically once you set those parameters inside of the, uh, you know, that tool. And, and, and not to like talk about tools for an hour, right? Because you can do this stuff manually, but it's interesting because you, you've kind of taken a dive into Ignite and, and some of the stuff in the new brand. And, you know, I can do all of that manually, right? But it's kind of a giant pain in the butt. Yeah, <laughs> like with even spreadsheets for me, like, and yeah. I like I like ads and I like seeing the data, but I don't like spending two hours a week on that. Right? It's not necessarily worth my time. And if you use a tool like Ignite, it does really speed that process up for you. You can go in and just hit, you know. And the the whole point of any tool is to make your job easier. Easy, right? Right. And the the way that Ignite really does that is through the auto suggestions. They're not trying to automate it because PPC isn't science; it's art and science. And so what they're really enabling you to do is make CEO executive decisions, right? And they're saying, hey, this is what we're seeing. Just so you know, you know, here's how confident we are. We know that based on all of this data that you should do this. Do you want to? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. And you say yes or you say no. Uh, and they've recently, recently rolled out some automation even to make that even easier where you say, look, if you're 95% confident that that's the right choice, just do it. And then they'll do it, and then they'll present you with the things that they're a, a little less confident about based on the data. Yeah. And that that really takes what's you know a few hours a week and and drills it down to ten minutes or yeah. fifteen minutes. And you can still look at all of the data if you want to do that. But it makes the management of that, especially as you start to scale, a heck of a lot easier. Yeah. No, I love it. All right. Cool. So, what else do we want to talk about about this flywheel effect? Uh, I think the. Uh, the biggest thing, you know, once that flywheel gets going, Scott, is that a lot of people run into, you know, making bad choices, and that slows the flywheel down, or uh, FUD. So FUD. we want to dive I into love that, that one. What we the FUD? Dive, what the FUD? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we want to dive into that a little bit. I think that's uh, it's an interesting little mindset piece to it, leave some people with today. I think it really is, and I, I thought it was interesting that it came up a couple of times in a couple of different presentations about, like, decisions and making bad decisions and making good decisions and when do you make a decision and it's like we are you know we're having to make decisions every single day every like almost minute of the day i mean i'm making decisions right now as we drive should i put my directional on to go left and get into another lane because this guy's moving really slow or should i continue to stay here because it's probably safer i'm gonna go with my intuition here and say get in the left lane 
Are you? Okay. I'm going to go in the left lane. <laughs> Guys, I'm turning the directional on so left. It's a data-informed decision. It, yes, and you were pretty confident in that, so I went with it. So I just sounded confident. I had no idea yeah. if it was the right choice or not. So we are actually uh, taking that advice. So that was a decision. See that right on the fly. We made a decision, and, uh, and it, it worked so far. Uh, all right. So, But, yeah, I mean, whenever we're thinking about, like, growing or scaling, it's, like, it's scary. Like, there's things that we, we're like, we don't want to disturb something because it might make things worse, but it could make things really a lot better. Uh, and, you know, so why don't you describe FUD, uh, what that means, and then we can dig into a little bit more of kind of how this can apply to us and how we can kind of get around it. Yeah, I mean, at, at the, you know, again, the 5,000-foot view, FUD just stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt, right? And it comes up anytime you have to make a big decision in the business. The, the biggest place, Scott, where you and I have seen this for the longest time, and we get an email a day or two emails a day that say something like this, right? Hey, I looked at all my numbers. They look great. Uh, I talked to my supplier. The price is great. I'm terrified of sending them $2,500, right. right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt in yourself and in the numbers. Right. What is your response to that? Well, we still deal with that, right? Every time you and I order a new product, we have that same exact issue. Right? It's not It's not like it's this one-time thing that goes away, but you have to understand that that's going to happen. It's going to happen at all different points in your business, whether it's the first time you order a product, whether it's the thousandth time you order a new product, whether you're just trying to uh, decide what to do with your Amazon ads, right? You're going to have those places, and you have to acknowledge the fact that that exists, but you have to also understand that it's kind of an arbitrary feeling. It's an arbitrary sensation, right? Our bodies do that to us because they are afraid we are going to get eaten by a tiger. <laughs> That's not going to happen in this business. Right. But a lot of the choices that we make on a daily basis, or even just the frustrations that come up, right? We run into a shipping problem, and then we start to have fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And it leads you know, into frustration, and it puts us into the, the fight-or-flight mode, right? Mm -hmm. If we can acknowledge that, that goes a long way to helping us make the right decision to get us out of that thing, right? Out of that specific situation, whichever one that is. Um, the other big thing there is, you know, taking a second, taking a step back, reevaluating what it is, and then going with going with our gut, going with our intuition based on the information that we've been able to bring back in. And the, the example that I'll, I'll go back to is ordering your product, right? Because that's where a lot of people have that, that FUD pop up for the first time because they're really confident during product selection. They're really confident talking to a supplier, and then they're like, ooh, there's, there's some money involved. It's about right? to get real here. And taking a step back there, the, the first thing, obviously, would just be, hey, like, take a breath. Yep. It's okay. Um, and the, the tactic that I use, and it was something that they kind of touched on, you know, he, it wasn't exactly that. It's like a box breath, right? So five seconds in, hold for five seconds, five seconds out. And you repeat that a couple times. And that does, it just kind of resets your, your nervous system, and it, it takes the stress away, right? So whether it's your supplier, you, you know, your boat sank, right? And you're stressing out about that. Right. Or <laughs> not that that happens. Um, or, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're about to place that first order your adrenaline gets up and then you start to question yourself. So if we can take a step back, reduce that adrenaline, reduce that stress, then we're able to make the right decision. And then the second step there for me would be to just reevaluate the numbers and then if, if they look right, take that action, whatever that action is, right? Placing that ad, placing that order, or saying, you know, my gut's telling me I should test this before I go all in. Well, if you've looked at the numbers again and that's what it's saying, then figure out a way to test it, right? Or just go ahead and do it. But we have to understand that we need to make that decision at some point None of these things are like the house is on fire and we need to exit, 
right? Like we have some time to make these decisions, even though it doesn't generally feel like that. And if we take 30 seconds to calm ourselves down, take a step away from the computer, take a breath, we can then come back and say, all right, I'm going to look at Jungle Scout one more time, right? I'm going to double check my, my fulfillment fees on Amazon, and I'm going to double check the product cost to make sure that the numbers work. And if they do, then I'm going to go with it. And that's really what you have to do. I, I think it's also, like you said before, it's like taking a step back, right? Like sometimes you just need to take that five-minute break or maybe a 24-hour break. Maybe you need to just walk away and come back. Or like, you know, the, the couple of guys actually that had said, you know, breathing. You know, it's like we all know that. Like when, have, you ever, have you ever sat there and you're just like you take a nice deep breath in, and you hold it, and then you let it out, and it just kind of feels good, right? Like, you do that a few times, and it makes a difference. And that might not be enough. Maybe you have to walk away and, and take a breath. And uh, as we pass a, a car with a dog's head out the window, biting at the air, <laughs> which actually my new puppy was doing that the other day. Dog was halfway out the car. I know, it was. That was kind of scary. Uh, so... Anyway, back on track here because we are on the road. and uh, it, It's kind of interesting to me because the, the thing that's the least helpful when you're stressed out is somebody going, hey, Scott, yeah, take a breath. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's the least helpful thing. But it, it, when you do that yourself, right, when you actually take the breath, it's really helpful. Like if somebody tells you, dude, just go breathe for a minute, it's like a really frustrating thing. I know. But if you actually do it, it's extremely helpful. It really and is. We, we need to understand, right, we're not going to get eaten by the tiger. We're not nothing bad is going to happen if we choose incorrectly, right? If Even if we make the wrong choice in the long run, we're going to learn something from it and we're going to be able to grow and we're going to continue to exist as individuals, even if we make the absolute worst choice possible. So we just need to go with our gut, you know, data, data informed intuition, right? Look at the numbers and then go with, go with how you feel about them. Share that quick little story about the Navy SEALs with the box breath. Well, and I could probably, I probably should look up the number because I'm completely making up the number off the top of my head, right? Okay, but, but one one of the things um, the Navy SEALs have always looked for ways to increase the number of people that graduate from from Navy SEAL basic training, right? And they they tried all kinds of things, and one of the things that was like astonishingly successful in terms of you know not just like one or two extra people graduating, but like big chunks of extra people graduating, was in the inclusion of box breath or combat breathing, right? Because it enabled them to deal with much more stressful situations. And if you guys don't know anything about Navy SEAL training, Google it. It yeah. is the most ridiculous thing on the planet. Like the final exam for Navy SEALs is they put them in, you know, they put them underwater in scuba gear and then the instructors dive into the water and unhook everything and tie it in knots and make them, you know, put everything back together, right? Like <laughs> before they drown. Like yeah. that's that's one of the things they do kind of towards the end of SEAL training, right? And on top, you know, they're, they're lugging stuff and they're, they're shooting stuff and they're blowing stuff up and they're, you know, they're doing all this kind of stuff. And just being able to take 25 or 30 seconds to breathe, to reset their central nervous system was one of the most successful things that they tried in terms of getting more people to graduate without changing the requirements right. of what they actually had to do. Yeah, that's huge. So, yeah, I mean, I know it sounds really simple. But, it sounds ridiculous. But try it. You know, what do you have to lose? A couple of breaths, you know? 25 seconds. Yeah, 25 seconds. seconds. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but again, going back to FUD, you know, like that fear, that uncertainty, like, and, and the doubts, like, we all have them. It's normal. It, we were sitting at a table last night at dinner having 
having a great dinner at the event, and we were actually sitting with two of our first 25 in our private label classroom. Which was a little bit of a surprise. We didn't know they were going to be it, there. It really was. And it was pretty awesome because we didn't realize that, I mean, we knew those guys were pretty successful, but we started naming people that were in that first group, and there was quite a few that went on to do some really good things, really big things. And uh, and I guess my point, going back to those guys, I got off track there, was that, uh, you know, they still, even though they're successful right now, they're still facing FUD. And you know what? So am I. So are you. Every like, day. Every day. But we know how to deal with it, and we recognize it. We don't, like, say, oh, I'm not, and try to fake it. You have to, you know, face that, and then you have to move on, and you have to make a decision. And you have to make a good decision, the best decision you can, by looking at the data, but then also your gut. Like, does it feel right? What if you don't do it? What will happen if you don't do this thing? You know, what, are, what will happen? What, what's good that could come from it? Like, so some of those things, you just have to ask yourself those questions and give yourself the answers and not necessarily have to convince yourself, but, you know, really weigh it out both ways and not just jump into something either hastily. You know, you want to go in there and, you know, you want to do, do your research and stuff, but not too much, not where you procrastinate. You get kind of stuck in that little thing. I think one of the one of the other interesting ways to tackle FUD, and, and we're blessed to have somebody on our team that oh, yeah. uh, constantly pushes on FUD, right? Like, oh yeah. <laughs> he, you know, uh, is that is that really your belief? A little right? shout out like, to are, Joel. On are you one? sure? Are you sure that's what you think? Yeah. Uh, and and even having that challenge to be like, well, is that what I think? Yeah. Do I really think that? Do I have a rational reason for the reason that I'm I'm stating this as a fact right now? Yeah. Is really nice, but. If you don't have someone on your team like that, you can still do this, right? And the the exercise, and it's something that Joel throws in my face all the time, is, well, what's the worst that will actually happen? Yeah. Right? And when you're in that moment of, oh, my God, I need to make this decision right now. You know, my business is going to burn down because Amazon misplaced some of my inventory. All right, what's the worst that will actually happen? Well, turns out that when you take a, a step back and you think through that question rationally, not emotionally, but rationally, the worst thing that's going to happen if Amazon loses your inventory is they're going to reimburse you for it, Right? And even if for some reason they didn't, you're going to figure out a way to get the money back for it, right? They're going to take care of you. They're going to figure it out, and they're going to help you find it. It may not be the easiest process. It may be frustrating. But the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to reimburse you for the inventory that they lost. And actually, you generally come out a little bit ahead because they reimburse you for the cost, or the, you know, not just the cost of the units, but the, the price you would have sold it for minus fees. So <laughs> it may actually be a blessing in disguise. And the same thing with the order, right? If I'm going to place that first order, well, what's what's the absolute worst thing that can happen? And when you're in that moment right before you, you go to place that order and you start to experience that, you know, that little bit of tightening in your chest, a little bit of anxiety because it's $2,500 or $5,000, whatever that first order is for you. When you take a step back and you think about it rationally, the very worst thing that happens is that money disappears, right? Now, if if it's your last $4,000, I would not suggest ordering a private label product right now, right? right. But if it's not your last $4,000, that's the absolute worst case scenario. That is not the most likely worst case scenario. The most likely worst case scenario is you come out close to break even and you learn a heck of a lot of lessons. And that was something, um, you and I have always said that. And you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that are going, yeah, okay, whatever. But we talked to a whole bunch of people over the last two weeks who were not successful in their first product, but came out right around break even with a whole bunch of lessons and then turn around and lit the world on fire with their second or third product. Yeah. Right. And so it's funny because we've always kind of said that in a vacuum. 
with some anecdotes and some stories from people. And then over the last two or three weeks, I've heard it over and over and over again of almost that exact story, right? I made a mistake in picking my first product. I was still able to break even with it, right? Because I only have to sell a handful of them to cover the cost. And then I, you know, I cleared out the rest and I actually made a little bit of a profit or I came out exactly break even and learned from that lesson. And then I was able to, to progress and grow. And so that's actually the most likely worst case scenario. And in most cases, you're going to do much better than the worst case. Absolutely. All right. So let's uh, let's wrap this up. I know we are, you know, we're heading back and we're digesting a lot of what we took in. Uh, again, at any event, there's going to be things that you hear for the first time and there's things that you've heard many times. But sometimes you need to hear it again to make you realize uh, what you need to be doing. Um, also, just having the conversations with people. So if you do have a chance to attend an event, the right event, you know, I like smaller events, you know, two to 300 people, uh, you know, it just makes it a little bit more intimate. Um, but you have to walk away and again, take that deep breath, take it all in. Hopefully you've taken notes and, uh, and then start to reflect a little bit and then decide what is there in your business that you can do right now with something that you've taken away. And the one thing that I've taken away that I want to really convey here to you guys, and it really does work very well with the new direction that I've announced and, you know, for TA or for, you know, the amazing seller, the TAS, um, you know, is really building a brand and really fueling that brand with momentum and the flywheel effect as they're talking about and that we're going to be, you know, really drilling into each component of that flywheel so we can keep that momentum going. And, you know, Amazon is part of the flywheel, right? It's part of the momentum that we can get, but then also building those outside channels, the, you know, the different uh, assets that we can have out there. Like I said, the, the email list, the messenger list, the, the, the custom audience in Facebook, those are assets that can fuel that, fi that flywheel. Fi I almost said flywheel. Flywheel. And, uh, Scott's you know, getting tongue-tied. I am. I'm getting tongue-tied here. And, and uh, once you can get that momentum going, and then you're just going to be working towards keeping that flywheel spinning, and it gets easier because those assets start to build. And then when you launch a new product, guess what? You just touch one of those audiences or those lists that you've built. You tell them about it, and you can then start to uh, you know fuel that area of the business, whether that's the Amazon channel, whether that's your funnel that you're building, a free plus shipping offer, whatever, um, you're gonna be able to do that. So brand, brand, brand is uh, to me the, the word of 2018 and beyond. And, uh, and what we do inside of that, you know, that will change over time, but the fundamentals will always be the same. And yes, messenger bots right now are kind of big in the new shiny object, and uh, it's worth doing right now, but building an email list is too, and building that custom audience in Facebook. So these are different things that we're doing right now, but it's all about having that touch point that you can, that you can control, right? That you can, that you can send people a message and then have them go over and take an action that you tell them and whether that's consuming a piece of content, sharing it, entering a contest, uh, or buying a product. Um, that's really what it's about to me. So what else you want to wrap up with there, Chris? I think the biggest thing, one, you know, it, from a live event perspective, the hardest thing for everybody. And it was it, it, in the conversations we were having last night, I was hearing it at this event too, is having one takeaway, right? Yeah. Everybody wants to go home and implement Facebook messenger bots and all these cool things that you can do, but you need one thing and you need to focus. Right. And so, again, take <laughs> take that breath. Right. Be gentle with yourself and 
come back 24 hours, 36 hours later and look at the notes that you took and say, what's what's the big thing that I can, what's the big rock I can put on the flywheel and, and see what will yeah. work? Not all of these hundred little things, which which will, will add momentum and will add up over time, but are going to be more of a distraction right now than anything else. And I think finding one big nugget that you can take away from, from each of these kinds of things and actually implement in your business is uh, is a huge thing for people. And then number two would be, I agree, you know, brand, brand, brand absolutely is kind of the message moving forward, right? And we're not saying that you have to be Coke or Nike or Adidas, right? But we are saying that you need to try to put the right stuff in front of the right people. And that's <laughs> that that really, you know, if I was going to be snarky about it, that's what a brand is, right? It's yep. about putting the right market in front of the right message. Yep. And then they buy your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. So let's uh, let's remind them of the show notes. We should probably Ooh. do that. Guys, the show notes can be found at theamazingseller.com forward slash 530. Again, that's theamazingseller.com forward slash 530. I would also remind you if you're listening to this for the very first time or maybe you're just getting started still and uh, you want to kind of fast track that a little bit or you want a little bit more focus on how to find your market and start your brand, I would definitely recommend checking out our product discovery bootcamp. You can find that by heading over to theamazingseller.com forward slash bootcamp. Again, that's theamazingseller.com forward slash bootcamp. All right, guys. So that's it. That's going to wrap it up. Remember, as always, I'm here for you. I believe in you and I'm rooting for you. But you have to. You have to. Come on. Say it with me. Say it loud. Say it proud. Chris is going to say it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Take Take action. action. Have an awesome, amazing day. And I'll see you right back here on the next episode. Chris and I actually looked at each other when we said that. It's amazing.